0: So I love the show Seinfeld. Of course, there's a few shady episodes you gotta skip, but most of them are just hysterical and really good. And so my wife and I are always talking like Seinfeld jokes and stuff like that. And so I like to watch little interviews with Jerry or whatever online. And he was asked if he had a favorite episode of you know the whole run. It was like it was nine seasons of it, and and he said that he wouldn't name a favorite episode. He said that he put his heart into every single episode and that he wasn't going to say that there was a best one. And I think that if you ask God what his favorite chapter in the Bible was, he would probably say something similar to that. He'd probably say, you know what, they're all good, they're all in there on purpose, they're all really important, but I'm allowed to have the best chapter ever. And so for me, the best chapter ever that you could find in the Bible is Romans chapter 8. That's my personal opinion. It's an incredible chapter. And so we're going to spend several weeks diving into Romans chapter 8, and it's such a powerful chapter because... It shows us a lot about God, but also there's some incredibly relevant and powerful things for us to see about who God says we are and some things that are going to change our lives. And so right off the bat, it starts with some really powerful stuff because it starts to talk about this topic of condemnation. Now, what's condemnation? Condemnation really just defined as easily as I possibly can make it is to pronounce judgment against. Okay? So condemnation is when someone in your life or you yourself kind of pronounce judgment against yourself. You think of something you did and you think to yourself, I shouldn't have done that. And you kind of judge your actions or somebody else may do that. Maybe some of you guys have seen a movie where there's a guy who's sitting at a, a big a judge's desk, right? And there are people and they stand in front of them and either a jury has examined all the information or the judge has examined all the information. He's got to pass judgment, you know? So you watch any of those movies or those shows, Law and Order, or Judge Judy, you know, she's the best, <laughs> of course. And and so the people stand there and the judge has seen all the evidence and then he pronounces judgment against them. He condemns them. He says, okay, you are condemned or judged or sentenced to prison or you are condemned or sentenced or judged judge to execution, or whatever it might be. Now, Judge Judy has never executed anybody, I don't think, although it seems like she always wants to, right? It's like, Your Honor, I just stole a pack of gum. To the firing squad, get around here, you know? She's just real intense. But that's the picture of condemnation. It's when someone is judged for something they did. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to condemnation, I think it's something we all struggle with, and there are a bunch of different ways that this plays it's, itself out. One of the ways is we condemn ourselves. We pronounce judgment against ourselves. We think about the dumb things we've done, and we, we look at ourselves and say, how could you have done that? How could you have been so stupid? How could you have made that choice? Look at the, the mess you made of your life. How could you have done this? And we pass judgment on ourselves. And I do this every single day of my life. I don't know about you. I struggle with this every single day. And it could be something really little, all the way out to something really big, something you know, sinful that I did. It could be from a little mistake I made and something I said that I just, it came out of my mouth the wrong way and it was har- you know, harmless when all was said and done, all the way down to the things that were destructive in my life or to other people in their lives as well. And so I would guess sometimes you beat yourself up too. Sometimes you struggle with looking at yourself and this is when you're sitting on the judge's seat but you're also the one in front of the judge. So you're the judge and you're, you're judging yourself and, and telling yourself what a mess you are, and you can't believe that you made these decisions and these mistakes. Another way this plays itself out is that there are other people in our lives that love to remind us what a mess we are. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a child, a teacher, maybe it's a, someone you work for or work with. And they just love to remind you of that one time when you said this or you did that and you betrayed their trust or whatever it might be. It just seems like they bring it up and over and over and over again. And it's this condemnation that keeps coming out of them. And they keep judging you for what you did. They keep pronouncing judgment against you. When I was about 14 years old, I was riding my bike with a buddy out east a little bit. And we went to this I guess this little store, this little like stationary store that had some candy in the stu- and stuff in there. But we found a section in the back of this stationary store that had some shady magazines. And so I was in the back of this store, and I was looking at these magazines about 14 and 15. And as I'm looking at them, I realize that the store owner sees me looking at them. And so I was kind of freaked out a little bit, didn't know what was gonna happen, so I just kind of closed it, and then he started walking toward me, and I didn't want him to see what I was looking at, and so without thinking of what it would look like I was about to do, I just put it in my jacket to hide it from him, so now he thinks I'm trying to steal it, not just look at it, and so he comes back, he grabs my jacket, And he starts to yell to his coworker at the front to call the cops. Now, when I heard the word cops, I ripped my arm out of his arm. I ran out of the store, and I jumped on my bike, and I set records racing home on my bike. Like Lance Armstrong was on the side of the street going, that that kid's quick, man. Watch, that's crazy. And I was just flying home. And every single time the phone rang when I was at my buddy's house, I thought that the cops had found me. I thought they tracked me somehow, and they were coming for me. But do you know what? I hate that story. I'm ashamed of that story. But you know what? Every single time I see my friend that I was with, he reminds me of that day. Every single time I'm with me, oh, you're a pastor now. Remember when you were 14 and you were back in that store looking at those shady magazines? Yeah, isn't that nice, you know? And we all have those people in our lives, don't we? And you know what I think you should do in a situation like that is take out God's word and open to 1 Corinthians 13 where it says that love keeps no record of wrong. Show them that verse, then close the Bible and hit them in the head with it as hard as you possibly can. Because either they will be convicted by the verse or the trauma to the head will make them forget you ever did it. So I don't know which is going to work, but I think either one of those might work. But that's what you and I deal with. We all have those people in our life who remind us that we're worthy of judgment. Then some of us have this view of God. This view of God that he's just out to judge us. He's just out to get us. He can't wait to jump on top of the last mistake we made and the last stupid thing we did and the last sinful act we committed and point it out and laugh in our face and tell us what a mess we are. Some of us have that view of God. Maybe because that's what a parent's like. Maybe somebody else, maybe a Christian, someone who called himself a Christian did that to you. Or maybe that's just what you feel God must be like. And I just want to tell you today, that's a huge misconception of who God actually is. And then lastly, we have Satan whispering in our ear. We have our enemy. The the name Satan, the name Lucifer, it literally means accuser. And so he's there to accuse us. He's there to accuse us of all the things that we've done wrong and remind us of all the ways we've messed up. And so whether it's yourself, somebody in your life, a wrong view of God, or the enemy whispering in your ear, we all struggle, I would guess, on a daily basis with condemnation, with feeling like we're judged, with feeling like because of the things we're done, we've done, we're kind of a mess. And and this is so important for us to talk about, because when you give in to condemnation, a bunch of things happen. First of all, it steals so much from you, doesn't it? I mean, talk about somebody who's going to walk around joyless and lifeless and without ambition and without excitement. It's somebody who just constantly is beating themselves up. It's like we become Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, just always putting ourselves down and always saying, what else is going to go wrong next, and always believing the worst. But it gets even worse than that. You see, here's what I want you to know tonight. I want you to know that condemnation and failure are roommates. What I mean by that is when condemnation moves into your life, failure is right behind it. Because here's what happens. When you condemn yourself, somebody else condemns yourself, or you're listening to those whispers in your ear, soon after you decide, and you've, you've all been there, you decide, you know what, because I've already made such a mess, why not do this too? You know, I've already looked at something I shouldn't have looked at. What's more now? So condemnation leads to failure. I've already said some terrible things to them. I might as well text this too. So condemnation leads to more failure. And then guess what? You fail more, you condemn yourself more, and then you fail more. And it's this vicious cycle of condemnation and failure working together in our lives. Uh, I would guess a lot, of the, a lot of us in this room have even experienced that in the last few days when it just comes to what we eat. Now, I know I'm a little older than a lot of you guys, but I'm trying to watch myself, man. And, and so Christmas season's really tough. And so I wake up Christmas morning, and I've been doing pretty well with my diet all year. I wake up Christmas morning, and my wife, the first thing she makes is these crescent rolls filled with cream cheese with vanilla icing on top, and she made bacon. It was like, my gosh, I just, I'm going to eat this and then go to bed, and I'm done for eating for Christmas, you know? But then, you, of course, you get to the in-laws' house, and there's appetizers all over the table. There's chicken parm out there. And then there's this one dish that's going to cause some division here in the room. I almost got beat up after the morning services. But there's this one dish, and the, and the, the Italians are going to mock me for saying it this way, but it's called manicotti, right? right? Some of you guys know what that is. But then we can all laugh at the Italians because here's how they say it. A manicotti, a manicotti. It's like, what the heck? Like I never forget the first time I was at Kelly's house. And everyone's talking normal, right? Hey, Doug, how are you today? Oh, it's so good to see you. Oh, wonderful. Can you pass the managata? I'm like, like, did you just get injured? Like, what just happened? Were you just hurt? by called 911. Like, I don't even know. And so we ate the managata, And then we uh, later had my sister and, and her family over. And there's trays of cookies. And, and by the time the cookies and the brownies all make it into the house, we're all sick. Like, none of us wants to eat anything. But what do we do? We go, you know what? I have blown my diet so bad. I feel so gross. I might as well just eat more. I might as well just eat a little bit more, another brownie, another cookie, right? You know you left because you know you did it a couple days ago. You may have done it today, right? And that's just a little image of going, you know what? I already messed up. Why not a little bit more? And this plays out much more with much more consequence in, in our real lives when it comes to the, the decisions that we make, when it comes to honoring God with our lives or not. When we give in to condemnation and we start pronouncing judgment or we let somebody else or we have this wrong view of God or we listen to the enemy's whispers, we're setting ourselves up for more failure. So, so what do we do? Well, today I want you to see what we do. As we jump into Romans chapter 8, And this is what Paul deals with. And Paul wrote the book of Romans, and he's this guy that Jesus showed up in his life and everything changed, and he wanted to help others see how much God could change their lives. And that's what we want for you tonight. We want you to see that God could change your life. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I can guarantee you, you might not call it condemnation, but you feel this, you deal with this on a daily basis as well. There are things you beat yourself up about, there's things others beat you up about, and maybe the reason you don't want anything to do with God or church is because you think God is waiting just to pounce on you for that last bad decision you made. And I just want you to see tonight a different picture of what God's actually like. And so we're going to look at this and hopefully find some freedom and also some victory in our lives when it comes to the struggles that we find ourselves in. And so we're going to look at Romans 8, and we're just going to look at the first word for a second. The first word is therefore. The reason I want to stop there is because Paul was in the middle of a thought right here. Okay? When Paul wrote what we, know of, what we know as the book of Romans to his friends, it was a letter. You know, when you write a letter, you don't put like chapters and verses in there, right? You just write a letter to your buddy, right? And that's what Paul did. And so then some really smart people came along a little bit after that, and said, you know what? Let's make it easier for people to find these different chapters and verses. So, so let's put them in there. And they're helpful. In fact, I want to challenge you, during the time we're doing this series for about the next eight weeks, I want to challenge you to memorize Romans 8 with me. I want to challenge you. Take a verse, learn it, add another one. As soon as you get that one down, that would be such a powerful thing for us to do together. So here's Paul writing this letter, and everything he said before it is so important. That's why we're stopping at therefore, because we have to realize what Paul said before. You see, what Paul was saying before was that he struggled with sin, and that he had really good days and really bad days, and sometimes he hated what he did. And then he said this, who can save me from all this? And he said, Jesus can save me from all this. And then he talked a little bit more about the struggle, and then he said, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul, just trying to set the record straight, right up front, saying, hey, I'll be real with you. I struggle sometimes with sin, and I do the wrong thing, and I fall short, and I don't do what God always wants me to do. But I just want you to know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So stop pronouncing judgment against yourself, and don't let anybody else do it, and don't think God's doing it, and don't listen to those little whispers in your ear that the enemy tries to trip you up with. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a verse that'll change your life. That's a verse that you need in your heart to be able to pull that thing out whenever you start to beat yourself up a little bit, no? In fact, my biggest struggle in writing this whole series has been to know when to break the verses up and when to start a new message. Like every verse is so good, I almost feel like every verse needs its own message, but then it would be like a 39-part series, and I might lose some of you guys. It might change from, like, best chapter ever to, like, longest series ever, or, like, most sleep I got in church ever. I don't know what it would become, so we're going to stay away from that, but there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, this is such a big deal because every single one of us deserves to be condemned by God. That's what we deserve. That's what I deserve because I sin, because I do the wrong thing. So when I'm standing before God, what I deserve for him to do is to pass judgment on me. And say, because of your sin, you're separated from me. I can't be in the presence of sin, and you don't deserve anything from me. And the same is true for every single one of us here. And there would be more than enough guilt around us. There's more than enough evidence that you and I fall short every single day, isn't there? I was giving my 11-year-old son and my 7-year-old son haircuts, the other day, and um, my seven-year-old is off to the side, just watching me do the other haircut on my eleven-year-old, and and he's just sitting there, looking very pensive. And I'm, I'm looking at him, like, "What's he thinking? What's he up to?" And he just goes, "Dad, do we sin every day?" I was like, "Yeah, buddy, we definitely sin every day." Yeah. And he goes, "Did you sin today?" I'm like, "Yeah, man. I, yeah, yeah. I'm sure I did. Yeah, I did some things." And he goes, "What'd you do?" I was like, so how's this haircut coming, Cade? You happy with this one? You know, like, I don't want to sit there and have to justify myself to my little seven-year-old, but he wouldn't let it go. He kept asking me, and so I kept trying to change the subject, you know, like a good dad would. No, but my kids know that I fall short every day, that we all do, that we all sin. There's more than enough evidence around every single one of us that what we deserve is nothing but judgment from God, but there is no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, that brings up a great question. If there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, the question is this. How do you get to be in Christ Jesus? What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. If you look at that phrase right there in the Greek, what the bottom part of it actually means is where it says, for those who are in, it means for those who are in a close personal relationship with Jesus. That's how there's no condemnation for you and I. It's when we're in a close personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus. What does that look like? How does that happen? Well, it's when you and I put our trust in Jesus. We say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I know I deserve judgment. Forgive me. And then after that, we get close to Jesus, just like we get close to every person around us. It's all about spending time with that person. It's about opening up God's word. We'll give you a Bible today if you don't have one, and getting in there and hearing from him. It's about praying, which is just simply talking to God. And this doesn't mean that there's no condemnation for those who are in a perfect relationship with Christ Jesus, because none of us are in a perfect relationship. We all fall short. We all still sin sometimes. But we are in a close personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's where we get ourselves in trouble. We get ourselves in trouble when we say, yeah, I'm in a close personal relationship with Jesus, but I'm just not convinced that he's still really okay with me. I'm still waiting for the verdict to come in. Probably um, most of you weren't born when this took place here tonight. But in 1996, O.J. Simpson was on trial for killing his wife and uh, her boyfriend. And I remember where I was when the verdict came out because it was like huge news back in the day. And this was like pre-internet. I know, I'm really old. And so I was sitting in my coach's office with a bunch of my friends and we're listening on the radio to the verdict coming back in. And I remember the judge saying, okay, for this charge, not guilty. For that charge, not guilty. He went on and on and on and on and on. And what I think is going on in so many of our lives, even though we have some head knowledge that Jesus has forgiven us, it's like we're still waiting for a verdict to come in. It's like we're still waiting to hear, guilty or not guilty. And I just want you to know the verdict's in. That if you have a close personal relationship with Jesus, not a perfect one, But a close personal relationship with your Savior, the verdict is in there is no condemnation for you. There is no judgment against you and against me. Now, the next several verses tell us how this is possible. And I have to be honest, some of Paul's language is a little bit confusing. I'm going to do my best to make this as clear for you as I can. But we're going to find out here in these next verses how this even works. Because here's what didn't happen. Everybody pay attention to this. You ready? Here's what didn't happen. God did not create human beings, and they rebelled against him. And then he stood up and he said, you know what? I'm just going to give you a free pass on all this. No, see, God created human beings. They rebelled against him. And then someone had to pay the price for that rebellion. Otherwise, there would have been condemnation for me and you. See, the truth is there was condemnation for somebody, just not me and you. Someone was judged for your sin and mine, just not you and me. And so here we're going to find out how this all plays out. Verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Now we have to talk about that. It's a little confusing. You see that word law in the second line there, that's not talking about the Mosaic law. Okay, one day God gave Moses the law. They call that the Mosaic law. And it's all the Ten Commandments plus a ton of other commandments, hundreds more. And God said, okay, keep these. And what did every single one of us do from the time we were born? We broke them all, right? Maybe not all of them, but we broke a lot of them. Even if it was just one, we broke one, right? And so that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's not saying, okay, because through Christ Jesus, the Mosaic law or the rules set you free. No, what he's saying here is he's kind of using that word law like a figure of speech. You could take that word law out and put a different word in there, like principle. Because through Christ Jesus, the principle of the spirit of life set me free from the principle of sin and death. Or an even easier way to understand it would be to think about it like this. To basically say, okay, through Christ Jesus, two, two really powerful things were in play. One was sin and death. The other was the spirit of life. And through Christ Jesus... These two powerful things came into contact and the spirit of life swallowed up sin and death. The spirit of life, the Holy Spirit beat sin and death, overcame sin and death because of what Jesus did for you and me. And so there's no condemnation anymore because Jesus stood before the judge where you and I should have been standing. Sin and death used to own us and all we deserved was condemnation and judgment, but Jesus died on the cross and put the Holy Spirit in our lives. And now the Holy Spirit's at work in us, doing some incredibly powerful things. And you and I now have, by the grace of God, the power to follow the Holy Spirit's leading. And we're going to continue to talk about what that looks like. And so this is possible. There's no condemnation for you and me because of what Jesus did on the cross and because the Holy Spirit is now at work in your life. Look at verse 3. And this gets confusing, I'll explain this. For what the law was powerless to do, now we're talking about the Mosaic Law. Paul, could you not have used some different words, right? Now we're talking about the Mosaic Law. The law, the rules that God gave to Moses couldn't save us, why? Because they were weakened by the sinful nature. What's the sinful nature? It's the part of you and me that wants to do the wrong thing. It's the part of you and me that's drawn to the stuff we shouldn't look at online, that's drawn to the gossip, that's drawn to lose our temper, that's drawn to the pride. That's that part of us. And because you and I have that in us, the law couldn't save us. The rules couldn't save us. We needed something else. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. So we just celebrated Christmas, right, when Jesus came in the likeness of sinful man Jesus shows up to be a sin offering. So I've been working on memorizing Romans 8. I want to get a little jump start on y'all, a little little unfair, I know. But I've been working on this. And, And those last several words, to be a sin offering, have been messing with my head for a long time because I just can't get over how powerful that is. One of the first things I do when I wake up, I'm laying in bed, is I start to say Romans 8 to myself. Best chapter ever. Just get it in my heart for the day. And those last several words are so powerful. You know why they're so powerful? Because there was a time, ready for this? That sinful man made offerings to God. But here is God making offerings for sinful man. You see, back in the day, like if you read through the Old Testament and around the time when Moses lived, God says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make sacrifices. Sinful people, I want you to make sacrifices. So we'll kill an animal, and it will cover your sin. It won't remove your sin, it'll cover it. But here we are seeing that Jesus came as a sin offering. In fact, there's even an offering, a sacrifice back in the day. It was called the sin offering. And now here's Jesus showing up on the scene, saying, hey, I don't want you to be judged. I don't want you to be condemned. So I will be the sin offering. So sinful people used to make sacrifices to a holy God. Now a holy God is becoming sacrifice for sinful people. And that's why there's no condemnation for you and for me. Then he goes on, and this part might seem a little confusing, but it's so powerful. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. Who's he? God. And so God condemned sin in sinful man. Doug, I thought you said there's no condemnation. There was condemnation. It just didn't fall on you and me. You see, God condemned the sin in sinful man on the perfect man. God condemned the sin in your life, in my life, not on us, but on his son. Jesus. Then he goes on. And so he condemns sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Remember that law we couldn't keep? Remember the law that God gave Moses that you and I looked at and said, I can't keep this. I'm going to mess up, man. I'm not going to honor my parents perfectly. I'm not going to live in purity perfectly. I'm not going to be able to keep God first all the time. All those commands that we messed up. Well, guess what? When God looks at you, this is crazy. When he looks at you and I, He sees it as if you kept the law right, but you and I didn't keep the law. I know. Jesus kept it for us. Jesus kept it for us, and so the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in you and me because of what Jesus did on the cross, right? He comes 2,000 years ago, and he lives a perfect life, and he dies in our place, and judgment is pronounced against him that should have been pronounced against you and me, and so when now God looks at us, he sees us as pure and holy as his son. My dad's like a master carpenter. He does all this great, great work. I mean, does molding and does all these things. He can just makes anything work. It's ridiculous. It's kind of annoying. And, and so, like, when he comes over to my house, I'm like, Dad, uh, let's do some work together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Doug, let's do some work together. He comes over, and uh, wor- working with my dad means that he makes everything perfect, and I, like, get him coffee and bagels. You know, like, that's working with my dad. But you know what? When people come over and people ask, like, oh, wow, this is great. Who did you hire to do this? I'm like, yeah, me and my dad did this, you know, pull up the belt a little bit, you know. And really what's going on here is I didn't do it. I didn't do it, right? You leave me home, home alone with some hammers and some nails, not going to go so well. But there was my dad. And his perfection as a carpenter kind of transfers over to me when people ask, oh, wow, this is great. Who did this? And you know what? Leave you and me alone with the law, and we're going to make a mess of things. But our perfect Savior, his perfection transfers over to us. And so now we stand before God as pure and holy with no judgment on, either, on any one of us. And so let's continue this thought. And so he condemned, he condemned sin in Jesus in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Now listen to this, this gets exciting. Who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Now, here we just turned a corner. I don't know if you saw it. We just turned a corner here. We went... From what was happening and saying, okay, there's no condemnation for people who have a close relationship with Jesus, but now we're turning the corner, because it says here that we're not going to live according to the sinful nature anymore, but according to the Spirit. So it goes from what's been done for us to now how we can live. You see, because there's no condemnation for you, because God doesn't judge you and I, we can now live not by those cravings of that sinful part of us that are always drawing us down the wrong road, but we can start to live according to the Spirit. We can start to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our lives. I know I'm throwing a lot at you tonight, but there's no other way to do it, so just stick with me. Because I didn't want you just to hear there's no condemnation. I also wanted you to hear that when condemnation starts to go, when condemnation, the roommates of condemnation and failure, when condemnation starts to pack its bag and leave your life, failure will start to leave your life too not perfectly, we'll still stumble, we'll still fall, but more and more as condemnation leaves, as judgment leaves, be it from us, another person, our wrong view of God or Satan's whispers in our ears, as that takes a hike, failure, will more and more start to leave our lives as well. Because now the cycle's broken. You see, when you start to realize all the judgment that should be coming against me is no longer coming against me and all the charges have been dropped, Suddenly, I'm empowered to start to live a life for my Savior who did all that for me. And I'm not walking around beating myself up like Eeyore anymore saying, I always make a mess of things, I always make a mess of things. Now I'm starting to say, wow, God's changed my life and God's forgiven me. And man, more and more, I gotta follow this Savior and I'm gonna cooperate with his Holy Spirit in my life. Now I wanna tell you this, for the next three weeks, we're gonna talk about what it looks like to live according to the Holy Spirit, to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, The next several verses that Paul brings up have everything to do with this. And you're going to walk out of here for the next three weeks, each week, with a little bit of a game plan of, okay, how do I honor God? How do I live according to the Holy Spirit? How do I cooperate with the Holy Spirit? How do I let him lead me and empower me? But tonight, I want you to see what Jesus has done for you and me. I want you to see that Jesus frees us from condemnation and empowers us to live. I don't just want you to hear the first half of that tonight. I was really tempted to do that, but I want you to see that we turn the corner and we start saying, okay, but now that I'm free from condemnation, the Holy Spirit can empower me to live a different way. Now that all those accusations against me have been dropped, I can live a different way. Think about it like this, because I know I'm throwing some heavy stuff at you tonight. Think about it like this. Imagine a man on death row. I was just talking with Steve Dubo tonight who's a corrections officer and he was explaining some things about prison to me and I, I've been researching some stuff about death row a little bit recently and, and it's a horrible place, it's a horrible place. Here are people, here are men waiting just simply to be executed. They've stood before the judge and the judge has examined all the evidence and has said this, you are condemned to die. Wouldn't you imagine with me that that person living in death row doesn't have many aspirations in life doesn't live much in, in, in much of a victorious way, isn't imagining that life in the future is going to be anything at all, but just simply waiting to be executed because there are legitimate accusations against them, probably beating themselves up every day for the mess they made of their life. People who live on death row have explained it as, as being, or described it as being stuck in a five-by-seven-foot cage for 365 days a year, And back in the day when they used to use the electric chair for executions, the prisoners would describe it as when they, at midnight, would kind of push the power on that switch to push the power to the chair, that literally the the prison lights would dim. And all the prisoners would grab their metal cups and they'd bang them against the rails of their prison so that the guy being executed knows he's not alone and somebody knows his name and knows what's going on in his life. Terrible, terrible place to be. Horrific. And so here you have a, a prisoner just waiting for the lights to dim for him, you know? Just counting down the days, guilty, condemned to die. But can you just imagine if somehow, some way, someone were willing to take that inmate's life who was scheduled next? Can you imagine that inmate as he's in his cell and the lights are dimming and it should have been him? And not only do the lights dim, but but after the lights have dimmed and this man has been executed in his place, somehow, some way, he's been freed and all charges have been dropped. I know that sounds like an impossible, ridiculous scenario, right? But that's your story and that's my story. You see, you and I had nothing but judgment and condemnation against us and it was right of God to do it. But instead of the lights dimming on you and me, they dimmed on his son. And you and I get to walk free. We get to walk out with all charges dropped. Wouldn't you imagine that that prisoner, had that happened in his story, wouldn't you imagine that just the power of the charges being dropped against him would empower him to live a different way? Wouldn't you think he'd live a different life on the other end of that experience? And that's what I want to call you and I to tonight. That as we walk out of here realizing there's no condemnation, the the charges against you have been dropped, not because God doesn't take sin seriously, but because he condemned his son in your place and in my place. Shouldn't that empower us to live a different way? And it's even better than that, because we're not just inspired by a person who took our place. No, almighty God who died in our place has put the Holy Spirit in you and me to also empower us. And that's what we're going to look at for the next three weeks. But none of us, none of us, none of us should be condemning ourselves or judging ourselves. Think about this. God already condemned your sin in Jesus. Don't try and recondemn it in you. None of us should be letting a person pass judgment on us and and make us feel ruled out from a relationship with God because of something we've done in the past. Really, it comes down to this. Who are you going to listen to more, God's voice or some person's? None of us should see God as a God who just can't wait to pounce on our last mistake and let us have it. Haven't we seen that he loved us so much he sent his son to die in our place? And none of us should listen to those whispers that the enemy loves to put in our ear. You're just to mess up, you're just gonna do it again. You're never gonna be free of this. Now see, there's no condemnation for those who have a close personal relationship with Jesus. And Jesus sets us free from condemnation and empowers us to live. And so as followers of Jesus, we just can't go there. It's probably going to happen tonight. Probably happen tomorrow. I'm just talking about my own life. You know, happens to me when my kids aren't around and it's just quiet and I'm I'm driving somewhere and I just start to think about a stupid decision I make. I got to catch myself in that moment and say, wait a minute, there's no condemnation for me. Someone was already condemned in my place. That's what you have to do as well. And as condemnation packs its bag, it starts to leave. More and more, we're going to see failure do the same. And so if you're a follower of Jesus tonight, will you enjoy the truth that there is no condemnation for you? And will you let that empower you to live? Let that empower you to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? We're going to look at that for the next few weeks. But I would love for you to begin to start praying this week. God, would you help me to cooperate with your Holy Spirit in me? Would you empower me to live a different way? If you're not a follower of Jesus, everything I said tonight is available to you. Again, I know I threw a lot at you tonight, but the simple truth is, he you want to just bring it all down to the most simple phrase that there possibly is, it's that Jesus loves you so much, he died in your place. He removes all judgment against you and all condemnation. And he wants to show up in your life and do in your life what you can't do yourself. And I say this all the time. I know we look at our sin and all the things that are trying to pull us down these different roads and distract us from God. It's fun for a season. It is. I know. I know. I get it. I've been there. It's fun for a little while. But then it always just punches you in the face, doesn't it? It always messes with you. There's always consequence way greater than what you hoped this would work out to be. You always hoped, hey, if I head down this way, even though I know God doesn't want me to, it'll work out this way or that way. And it it just never does. And so I hope tonight you would just look at this loving Savior who wants to rescue you from that along with the rest of us who still stumble and fall down sometimes. And you'll walk free and you'll stop condemning yourself, letting anybody else do it, or seeing God is doing it to you. And you'll let him empower you to live a new way. Because Jesus sets us free from condemnation and empowers us to live. Let's pray. So, Lord, we just are so grateful to you that you've treated us in a way we so incredibly don't deserve. We thank you, God, that you have removed the guilt and shame of our sin. We give you praise tonight, God, that you love us so much. And so, God, I just pray for every Christian in this room that you will help us stop beating ourselves up or let anybody else or just remove our our misunderstandings of our loving Father and help us to stop listening to those little whispers from the enemy. If you're a follower of Jesus, will you take a few minutes and will you just bring to God those things that still trip you up? And will you just see them as dealt with? Will you almost see the word free, written over those? Will you see over your sin the word canceled because of what Jesus did on the cross for you? Will you ask the Holy Spirit to begin to help you cooperate with him? And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him tonight, you can just pray something silently like this. Jesus, thank you for forgiving me for my sin. Thank you for taking my place. Thank you for having my sin condemned in your body. Thank you for getting on a cross and dying and rising again. Would you forgive me, God, for all my sin? And would you empower me to live a new way? Would you put your Holy Spirit in me? Would you let the Holy Spirit do things in my life that I can never do myself? Thank you for this amazing gift of salvation. In your name I pray.